a revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork Baby Monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host of Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk about making sure you're getting the help and care that you need and deserve. So what does that even mean? It means talking to your care provider and making sure that your expectations match, how to find a lactation consultant, how to make sure that the hospital team really understands what you're looking for and the support that you need. So to have this conversation, I reached out to Jada Shapiro. She is a long time colleague, and she is a maternal health expert and founder of Boober, where expectant parents and new families find expert vetted pregnancy to postpartum care providers like doulas, lactation consultants, or mental health experts. And you can meet in person or virtual. And she also founded Birthday Presence in New York back in 2002. And at this point, she supported over 20 thousand new parents. So Jad and I have been running in the same ring for quite a while, and it was really a joy to connect with her and to have this conversation. There's so much great knowledge there. If you are a note taker, you might be listening to this, taking notes, putting stars and highlights next to some of the things she talks about. It's really great, great, great information. So I'm excited for you to hear that. Before we get to that, Reminder, head over to prenatalyogacenter.com and grab your cheat sheet, the five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains, because I know that it's impossible to get to class every single day, but it's not impossible to imagine that you might be having some pregnancy or even postpartum pains and you want to address them and deal with them so you can go on with your day in comfort. So you can grab that and then you'll also receive our newsletter. And every week we give little tidbits of knowledge, keep you up to date on what's happening at the studio. So go ahead and grab that at prenatalyogacenter.com. I also want to thank those that have been leaving ratings and review. We've had a slew of new reviews on, um, on Apple Podcasts and some of the other places, and it helps people find us. So thank you. And I'm really touched that people are taking the time to do that because this podcast is for you. It is for you, the community, to feel heard and supported and giving you information, evidence-based information that I hope adds to your journey through pregnancy and early parenthood. And then the last thing I just want to remind people is we're continuing to keep pretty much everything online. Every day we offer a prenatal yoga class that is online and they can be re-released throughout the day so you can watch them on your own time. And we're folding in more and more in-person classes at Prenatal Yoga Center. But we're also keeping our teacher training online for at least the November, December training and the January, February. And then I'm hoping to be back in person for March April in New York City. So if you are a yoga teacher and you're interested in going very deep into this knowledge and showing up and supporting the pregnant person, supporting the postpartum person with knowledge and compassion from an anatomical and physiological understanding, this is your training. So check it out while it's still online or join me in the spring in New York City. All of this information can be found on our website, prenatalyogacenter.com. Okay. Now, before we have a conversation with Jada, we're going to take another quick break and then please enjoy. A revolutionary baby monitor is born. I want to introduce you to a brand new baby monitor, Massimo Stork. Massimo Stork baby monitor tracks health indicators so you can get to know your baby better. 
Track your baby's pulse rate, oxygen saturation, and skin temperature with the high-resolution video and clear two-way audio from the Stork app. While Massimo Stork Baby Monitor is new, Massimo's Signal Extraction Technology, or SET to be exact, has been trusted in hospitals for over 25 years. In fact, 9 out of 10 top U.S. hospitals, as ranked in the 2022-2023 U.S. News & World Report, uses Massimo SET as their primary pulse oximetry technology. Now, this technology is available for families at home, empowering confident parenting. Go to Massimo Stork to learn more. Please remember, Mosmo Stork is not meant to be used as a medical device. Hi, Jada. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's fun to have you on the podcast. I know we've done IG Lives together. We several. Um, I know we've worked around each other for years, but thanks for coming on my podcast as a guest. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I know you've been doing this for a while, and it's, it sounds so it's great to be yeah. here. Yeah, I love talking about birth. All right, so I'm excited. <laughs> Birth is like one of my kids know they're like, Oh my gosh, not more birth. I one time I pulled it one of their friends was over and they were talking about something and I pulled a pelvis out. My kids were like, Really? Really? This is what you're gonna do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean there's babies, boobs, pelvis everywhere in the house, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what we do. So having a chance to talk about birth with someone who I know has been in the field for a long time is exciting. So I thought we could jump into a conversation about making sure that people are really getting the help they need. Now, I already have a podcast about the five questions to ask to find the right care provider, but I feel like we can go deeper so that once someone has decided to work with a care provider, they can really dig a little deeper. And I also thought we could talk about lactation consultants because to be honest, that is not my wheelhouse and I know that is yours. So let's have fun. But I guess before we get into that, I know about you, but let's have you just tell a little bit about yourself to the community and then how you landed in the birth world. Yeah, definitely. So my name is Jada Shapiro and um, I am the founder of Boober and Birthday Presents, two companies been in the space for a long time. I got started 18 years ago. Actually, I guess it's probably almost 20 now as we think about it. Um, you know, I got into the birth kind of accidentally by literally being at a library one day in college and walking around the stacks. And I found this book that was, uh, had two words in it that very much interested me, spiritual midwifery. And I was not, you know, I was like spiritual, not that's interesting. And midwifery even more. What is that? I had no idea what the, what those two words meant. I did not know what a midwife was, um, or what the word midwifery was really. I, I guess maybe I'd heard about it, but I, it, it piqued my interest. So I picked this book randomly off the shelf and I was blown away by seeing all of these people having babies in interesting positions, squatting, standing, being upright, smiling, all, it just, it blew my mind. And I read it very intently. I was like, what is this book? It was so fascinating. Um, I started getting really interested in child, you know, in childbirth in general. I was in college, one of, I was studying, um, well, I was a dance major and, and I in an American studies major with a concentration in gender, actually. And there was this class about the biology, psychology, and politics of reproduction, but it never went into the birth part. It was all this language stuff and we never got to childbirth. And then I discovered that book, I guess, and I started thinking more and more about it. And, um, and I just started reading a lot about birth because I found it super, super fascinating. And I ended up doing my senior thesis in college, um, uh, which was a dance piece about the over-medicalization of childbirth. Um, and I, I got, I moved to New York after college and then a friend of mine, uh, got pregnant and she invited me to her birth and I had just, um, received a camera from my mother. I was starting to learn photography. So I asked my friend, could, could I take photos of the birth? And, um, she let me photograph the birth and I went to this incredible, it was a freestanding birth center actually in Baltimore and, uh, 20 other people were there, um, which was really mind blowing to be in this space, in this house like environment and to, you know, watch my, my friend walked around and ate and drank and stood up and got in a bathtub and was in the shower and was on the bed and was on all fours and, you know, just was on a birth ball. I mean, so many different things was squatting, was laying down. It was just endless and had all of these friends and family members there. And literally 20 of us were crowded in this room as she pushed her baby out. And it was, 
an incredibly intense, long childbirth, but also this beautiful moment where the baby came out and we were all laughing and crying together. And, um, it really, really changed my life. And I, I got much more interested in birth then and I, you know, deeper into it and, uh, went to a conference on the Upper West Side, actually, that, uh, a birthing, the art of birthing. And I met somebody there who said, um, you get off at my subway stop. <laughs> and I was like, um, yeah, but we're on the Upper East Side here. And I was living in Williamsburg at the time in Brooklyn. And, um, so they recognized me and I was like, that's so weird. And it turns out this person, she lived with somebody I went to high school with and she said, I'm having a doula training in three days. And I'm like, Oh, what? So I still really didn't know about, you know, I learned about doulas at this conference and I learned uh, more from this person. And she was like, you have to come to this doula training. If you're interested in all this, and obviously you're at a birth conference. Um, it will, it will really be amazing. So I went to this doula training, it turns out, uh, three blocks from my house and with this friend from high school. And, um, met, uh, Deborah Pascali Bonaro, who still runs the doula trainings, uh, at birthday presents at my company. And we, um, I took it and I just, I was so blown away. These three days I spent learning so much. And I was like, how is it possible that nobody knows about all of these possibilities in childbirth? You know, just learning. I learned so much about options and choices and the hospital and our hospital system and what birth looks like here in the U S and what birth could look like or did look like historically, um, for birthing people around the world. And, um, I just, I was mind blown. Um, you know, and I was so like passionate about meeting people and connecting them around their births. And I met, um, I met Terry who we both know, um, you know, who went on to, we started birthday presents together and we just started telling everybody we knew about this doula training that we'd been to. And I, I couldn't, like, I just get, got referred to so many, somehow like all these pregnant people showed up in my, <laughs> I don't know, in my phone, um, and that we were able to attend many, many births that summer. And it just, I realized like, this is where it's at. And the longer I, as I started attending births, I realized just how, how little people knew about what choices and options they had. Like it was so wonderful to be able to support people through the experience of birth. But as we would meet them before their, their babies, you know, maybe a month before their due date, people didn't really have a sense of like, could they walk around or, you know, could they eat and drink and labor or like any of these things that actually are our choices. And so I found myself just educating and, and wanting to tell people like, well, let me, let me teach you. And and so I slowly found myself becoming uh, a childbirth educator without knowing it. And, and pretty soon after that, I think I started actually teaching at your space because Terry was teaching yes. uh, at prenatal yoga center then. And she was training me essentially to teach as well, which was fantastic. And, um, and then we went on to open, um, you know, birthday presents and open a space where we could teach childbirth classes and connect with other parents, um, which was really amazing, I think, you know, and so for me that I've always been very passionate on, on my path of just making sure not that I'm telling people what to do in childbirth, but that they do have choices and options and to educate people so that they can feel really empowered going into it. And that's, you know, where, what's been going on for all these years. And then that grew into, of course, you know, Boober and started as lactation and then grew also into matching people to birth and postpartum doulas and all of that. So I think like, that's just, it's been such a deep passion of mine after, after being able to bear witness to this, this birth and, and then, you know, really being present for so many people as they made their, their own pathway. I love that, uh, your passion for making sure people have their choices and recognizing it's not what you would may want to do for birth, but it's up to them. I think that's so important and so admirable that you're giving suggestions, not not directions. I love, I really stand yeah. behind that. I, I possibly cause that's how I align as yeah. well. <laughs> so, I, think so. I think it's like a life philosophy in general and you, you can't tell people what to do and what does it matter? Like how, you know, I am not in your body or in your family. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, and everyone's but... values are different and, but what's so, so, so important. And you really hit it that a lot of people don't recognize that they have options. And if you don't know, you have options, you don't know how to stand up and ask that they get met and honored and valued. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, and I'm just so passionate about that as well. So which is why I'm excited that we are working together. So let's, first of all, thank you for that uh, explanation because, you know, I knew a lot of your background, but I, and I knew you knew, uh, you did birth photography, but I didn't know that's how you got into it. Yeah. I really how I started. Oh, I thought, and this is just 
<laughs> piecing, you know, like how you connect the dots when you don't really know the path. I'm like, oh, maybe she didn't want to do as much doula work. So she was doing a birth photography. That makes sense. Like in my mind. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, no, you know, it's something I, I wasn't able to do as much when I became an active birth doula because I mean, I still always photographed my clients' births if they wanted me to, you know, kind of as a second part, but it's very different than being the actual birth yeah. photographer. Um, no, I got so busy being a birth doula and then, you know, that I wasn't able to actually continue on so much with the photography, but it's still something I think about going back to actually. Um, cause I just love documenting that in such an amazing way to be present for people. That's actually a regret I have that I did not have a birth photographer because mm-hmm. the pictures I see that are from births that are so raw and beautiful, it just, it takes my breath away. All right. So I know that you've been a doula for many, many, many years, and I want to start to get into how people can know their choices. So where have you seen the biggest disconnect between what the birthing person was expecting and what was actually unfolding in a hospital or with a care provider, what they were able to offer. Yeah, there's there's so much disconnect. I think, you know, a a big one comes in, um, and just being able to move around freely. And especially I think maybe in, in pushing, uh, that people are like, well, but there's that bed that folds into all these different positions and the squat bar that maybe they heard of. And I think there, oh, oh, many, many, you know, doctors are not trained and or willing to work with the different birthing positions that might be available to us. Many are. So I do want to start by saying I work with many wonderful and amazing OBs also who are open to all sorts of, of positions and following the patient lead. But I think that a lot of people don't realize how often that somebody's particular training may limit how they'll be, you know, taken care of during the birth experience. And so if nobody was trained, for instance, to catch a baby on all fours, um, then they're not going to be comfortable catching the baby on all fours. That will feel very uncomfortable for them if that wasn't part of their training, even though for you, you might've been laboring on all fours and, and pushing really effectively. And that felt great. And you're being now asked constantly, you know, to flip over, you've got to flip over, you have to flip over. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the places that there's a lot of, of disconnect is just that even, even, and you know, when it comes, I think from watching our, our media, um, for much of time, and I guess this is before YouTube as and, and Instagram has kind of changed things, which in an amazing way, because people now post their own births and post videos and things like this, where so people may have more access to seeing all sorts of different kinds of birth actually. But when the media was more controlled, um, you know, or if you're looking at something in, in the mainstream sort of, TV or movies, um, you very often don't get to see uh, people birthing in any other position besides on their back. And so that becomes completely normalized. And a lot of times we have people who really want, I guess another big disconnect is, is wanting to, you know, avoid a cesarean birth unless it's medically necessary and finding themselves, you know, being kind of corralled into that situation. And I want to be clear, of course, that cesarean birth is absolutely important and life-saving and, and necessary for people, but not always. And that we know it's overused. And, and I think like so many of our clients, people who seek out doulas and who seek childbirth education often are saying to us, like, I really don't want to have a C-section unless absolutely necessary. And so that's one of the, the, another really real disconnect is just like, well, there are these things that can help you avoid a C-section. Sometimes you need one, right? But like, did you ever, were you allowed to try a different position? I mean, it's been so amazing sometimes being at a birth and having no change in the pushing state, you know, of the baby coming out for two hours and then making that suggestion, like continuing to push for like, can we just try a little different position? And finally either having a care provider be like, okay, let's try. Or, or the the parent finally going, okay, let's try. And then seeing how, what progress can be made, like how a baby all of a sudden can get under the pubic bone. And we change. And sometimes that even means going onto your back, whatever it means. But other times it means literally getting out of the bed or turning onto all fours or even just moving slightly to your side is, you know, and I think like that's, yeah, I guess there's that, that big disconnect. Like a lot of people are, are hiring, they'll even hire a doula or say, well, I want to have a doula because I really, you know, I don't feel like my doctor's listening to me or something like that. And that's a big disconnect too. It's just like, we really, it, it's challenging. You can't, you can't expect somebody to practice in a different way um, than they normally practice. And so I think it's better for people to go in knowing what the reality is, right? It's, it's like the age old, like you can't 
order Italian food at a Chinese restaurant or right. Like, so if I want to have a water birth, for instance, I'm certainly not going to go to a hospital that has, doesn't have a birth tub in the same way that if I know I want to have an epidural, I would never plan a home birth because that's just not a thing that you'd have at home. Right. So I think it's really about, um, getting educated to learn like, Oh, what are my choices and options? What do I actually want? And then does that place of birth and does that care provider provide that possibility for me. And it's not going to be possible with everybody because many care providers weren't trained in that, in that way. So can we have like open, honest conversations with our doctors ahead of time? Can we, when we're hiring them, like at eight weeks of pregnancy, that'd be a great time to start asking the questions that often most people don't ask until they're 36 weeks. And that's really late, Mm -hmm. um, right. To find out. So So I want to go back to the pushing conversation because in this, you know how certain things take place in one's career and life and that kind of sears it in the mind. So I I got certified through donut and part of doing the donut certification was we had to do three births before we Mm -hmm. could be certified. So I reached out to my community. I'm like, I'm for free. Who wants to hire me? (laughs) And I still remember those three births like they were yesterday. And on the third one, I had a second time parent and she she was a, a small person. I mean, she was, I'm five two and she was smaller than me. And her first child was about eight pounds and she, she did, she had a vaginal birth. So she was starting to push, turned around on the bed. So the bed front was up and she was holding onto the top and beautifully pushing. And her doctor did not get there in time. So it was the resident. Now hindsight, mm. I'm like, oh, I get it. But what ended up happening and you're talking about training and comfort level is while my client was pushing the care providers, like you have to get on your back, you have mm. to get on your back. And she's like, no, I don't want to. And being a third time doula, I didn't have the understanding of how to deal with that. Like I, I was just trying to remind her, like, just try to relax, try to breathe. And then we kept looking at the doctor, like, can she stay this way? And she's like, no, no, no. So my client flipped onto her back and pushed her child was nine pounds, pushed out fast at, at I think out of spite, um, <laughs> and, and tore and tore badly. Mm-hmm. And again, now I can look back and be like, I get what was going on in both situations that the doctor probably didn't have the the training to catch a baby in this manner. I mean, this is probably like 15, 16 years ago. So a a while back. And I now, again, if I was in the situation, I think I'd have a different vocabulary to try to advocate for my client, but it really, it really sticks in my heart that what my client was doing and making progress with was not allowed to continue. It's like her values and her needs, her needs were not being met. So that's why I, I'm really a stickler for, or an advocate, maybe that's a better word for birthing how one finds progress and satisfying. So if you, if someone has a care provider and they talk about, I'd really like the option, not just to push, but to actually birth in different positions. I've had care providers like, oh, you can push when it's time to catch. I need you on you know, on your back with the table broken down. How would you suggest people have that conversation with their care provider about they want full reign as long as, as long as it's safe for everyone? Yeah. I think that's like the key first is the remembering as long as it's safe for everyone, right? Because when you're starting these conversations with your, your doctors or midwives, your care providers, um, often there's an assumption if we don't say, that I understand, of course, if it's not safe for me or my baby in that moment, like <laughs> then yeah, then it's not appropriate. And I think there becomes this assumption when people are asking for a certain kind of care that we're not as knowledgeable, like, like that I'm saying, Oh, I just want to birth in, in all fours, no matter what, you know? And I think that it's important to kind of start from a frame whenever you're talking and saying, so if everything's fine with me and my baby, right? Like, yeah, I get it. Um, and starting to have that conversation now. And I think now that if we, if we know that some care providers are not comfortable with remaining, say in all fours at the end or for the actual birth and the emergence of your baby to start that conversation, not in saying like, I've had a lot of friends or I've heard a lot of stories where people have been allowed to push to a certain point and then still the care provider wants them on their back. So, and then saying, is that how you deliver? Right. And just like really being direct. And, and if so, can you, 
can you tell me why? Because maybe they have a good reason. I mean, definitely there's some times where people, um, you know, might find that, or, or at least you'll hear the explanation, you know, that I can help you control the pushing more of those last few pushes. You're pushing uphill, they'll even say, right? You're slowing down the push and, and we can help you tear less. And, and that might be the, how they, why they're coming from that place at least. Of, mm-hmm. You know, I can help give counter pressure better and that whether or not that's, that's accurate. Cause I, I think you, you can give counter pressure in different positions and all, but again, like I'm not a, I'm not a midwife or an, an OB catching a baby in that moment. So I would love to have like that real conversation with the care provider to see where they're coming from, as opposed to like, well, I just don't do it that way. That, that wouldn't be a great answer. Right. And then those kind of conversations, if you can have a really truly direct one with your care provider, at least helps you understand where they're coming from and then say, huh, do I, do I want, okay. They told me I can't probably. <laughs> <laughs> huh, do I still, is this the right doctor for me or do I need to, you know, seek, seek something else out? So that's, that's one place I would just go. I I'm into being like really clear and upfront and direct, um, which we'll see where that goes. I mean, it's interesting is like your story. I had a person also, actually it's a birth that I photographed. I photographed three of her births. Um, she had five babies and Terry was her doula and I was the birth photographer. And, um, the first birth, she really wanted to be in that position. All fours is where she was. And she was told she had to turn over. She had to be on her back. And she, and you know, we were pretty new doulas too at that time. Um, and, and you know, she did it. She got on her back and did what she was told. And the second time, she was like, I really, if I'm in all fours, that felt good. I liked pushing. I really don't want to turn over if I don't have to. Can you guys help with that? And so there was discussion prenatally. She talked with her doctor about it. And I don't remember if the doctor was the same or not, actually, who was the the main person. But I know that they had that conversation. But whoever was there at the time of birth, she was on all fours. And I know this because I have, I have this whole photo series. She was on all fours. And um, she was like, okay. Oh, she's pushing. She's doing great. And um, the doctor said, I just need you to get on your back. She's like, no, you know, and she said, it. she's like, no, I just, I'm okay. I'm pushing. And she was pushing very fast and it was all happening really quickly. And I remember, um, the doctor whispered to Terry and said, I've never delivered a baby in this position before. <laughs> and Terry was like, it's okay. The baby's just going to come out upside down. <laughs> You know, which was, it was so amazing, right? Because of course, you know, when you're on all fours, it looks opposite as the baby's not changing it. And there's no position. This was an anterior baby. Um, And she goes, okay. And then she just put her hands there. The woman, you know, was the mom was pushing so fast that there was not a whole lot of time. And the doctor ended up having to catch the baby on all fours. And it was great. And everybody was thrilled. And the doctor even was like, I did it, you know? (laughs) I wonder if that changed how that doctor, like that could have been a turning point for that doctor. Yeah. How amazing. Because it was such a straightforward birth. I mean, the whole labor was maybe eight hours max, you know? Um, and it was, it was just moving so well. And I ended up, cause I have this photo series, I ended up putting those on the wall. And when I teach, you know, childbirth classes and when we had our space, we were, I would always, I would say, so this is the story. And I tell the story from the photo series. Um, and I would tell this exact story because I said, in, in this particular case, like, it's not like she planned to push an all fours. That's where she ended up and it felt good to her and therefore she wanted to stay. And it's so interesting that in our medical system, there's such a, a movement toward moving people, even when it's working really well, yeah. you know, and I, why <laughs> I'm a big fan of, of telling people like, look, you don't have to try everything we teach you. Like, you know, at Boober we'll do childbirth classes where we talk about this. And I'm like, let me just make sure you understand that, um, I'm not telling you, you have to try these 15 positions in your birth and you're pushing, right? It's just, they're, they're there in case it's not, the baby's not coming down. And I think like the one thing I'd want everybody to remember is like, if you forget everything you ever read about birth or or learned in a class, it's just try changing positions. If they're telling you, as long as the baby's fine and you're fine, try changing positions because that's often a, a big one. So yeah, going back to like, I'd say talking, really having that frank conversation up front if you can, but that's hard. I mean, you know, cause sometimes if they say no, then you have to make a decision. Am I going to change providers or am I going to accept um, what I'm, what I'm hearing? And then also every, you know, each doctor and each midwife is different. And sometimes you'll have several people in your practice are on board and one person is not. So how do you advocate in that moment? And I think like what I've seen, and I think what you said too about the other person, and some, sometimes that no comes out of a birthing person, <laughs> like a roar. And what's fascinating is if, 
if you do say no, or you're like, literally can't, like I found if you're just like, I can't. And if they're telling you something's wrong with the baby, then you can, and you will. Right. But if they haven't told you something's wrong and you're like, I can't, and you just don't, they're um, not going to pick you up and throw you. Yeah. The back. They can't pick you up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like I'm saying this is not even conscious. Like I find that people go one of two ways when they're deep in the throes of labor, they either do every, everything they're told because they don't have the ability or the will to like, they have to focus so much on moving through labor. Like it's like, fine, whatever, you know, like I can't argue you and I'll just do it. And then the other half of people are like, just no, it just yeah. comes out and they just don't move. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody around them kind of has to, has to work around it. But I, I just wish we could see, um, I would love to see our training in, in medical school in the U S just be much more open and expansive, right. Where they could like, you know, that would be my vision is that we're training people to see all kinds of births so that you can deal with the most interventive, highly medical controlled birth. And that you've also seen lots and lots of what happens like in a person's body. If you just don't tell them what to do. I I would love that because I feel (laughs) like it's, you have your few unicorn care providers that have that spectrum of, of desire to work in that whole range of needs. And unfortunately I don't feel like I don't feel like I see that a ton. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I would love to hear what are some red flags someone should be aware of when they're speaking with their team about their birth preferences and values. We're going to be right back. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Okay, we are back. So what are some red flags that should kind of tickle the back of your neck if you're like, ooh, I'm trying to have this frank conversation. I'm trying to share my preferences and my values, and I'm getting this spidey sense that something's not right. Yeah. Some of the, those those red flags, like somebody will say, like, what do you want that for? <laughs> or um, just leave it to me. You know, you're asking too many questions. That to me is always a real red flag. Like mm-hmm. what? Like, why are you asking that? Um, cause I'm a person interested in my own experience in my body. Right. So I think when, when you're, when you're feeling like being shot down, sort of, um, being told that the question is unimportant, um, because that's different. Getting a no with a real explanation would, could be acceptable for you. Right. You could be like, okay, that makes sense. And you're telling me why that's not an, something I can do. And, and that's applicable to me because you're looking at me, the individual. I can, I can hang with that. But when somebody is, is like, you know, just seeming like they're so bothered by your questions or they're not giving you the time or, um, or they denigrate you. They tell you that, that that's, that's stupid. Or, or, I mean, I think one of the clearest red flags is when a care provider is like, well, I'm the doctor. I went to medical school. (laughs) You know, what do you know? It's like, yeah, you did. And you're there to help me in case of clinical situation where I certainly could not handle that. Right. But like, I was just asking if I could try, how do you feel about me walking or why can't I eat and drink and those kinds of things. So I think that 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 really stands out for me anytime. Like, I mean, I guess you you said, you know, what if you feel the spidey sense? I would say trust your gut because Mm. you're, you know, you know, when you're not being treated well, and this, this goes for any service or any person you're hiring in anything, right? Like, you know, when you're not being treated well, you know, when it doesn't feel bad, uh, sorry, it doesn't feel good because you're, you're like spidey sense went up and you're wondering like, huh, if they're talking to me like this now, you know, I, I really believe in, in people having autonomy in their body and in, in healthcare that our care providers are, you know, working with us, right? Like they are the experts and they have expertise that we 
don't have and they are brought in and doing this work to help make sure that it does keep safe. Um, but I, I like to think of the the model of like a lifeguard, you know, they're not necessarily needing to jump in or manage it at every minute as much as observing and watching and listening and, um, and seeing where, where their, their expertise is, is truly needed. So the care provider who really allows you to speak your thoughts, allows you to show your fears and anxieties, or allows you to ask questions and wonder if something could be different in this way for them, would this be possible? Like, that's the ideal collaborator. Mm-hmm. You know, do you feel like you're collaborating with your care provider or do you feel like you're a nuisance and a bother and being told what to do? And, and, you know, so those are some of the things I would look out for. I, I agree. And what I really like that you were highlighting is also really asking the specific questions, because one thing I find so interesting is each topic you could ask, they're so subjective. I, you can talk to one care provider and they'll give you one answer. Like I, you mentioned eating and drinking mm-hmm. and that's one I see a wide range. I've had some care providers like, as long as you don't have an epidural, you can keep eating and drinking. And then others like, as soon as you come into the hospital, clear fluids and, you know, ice chips or something like it's, it right. varies so, mm-hmm. so much. So really trying to open that communication for expectations. So, you know, know who you signed up for in a, in a sense, like know who you marry in that way. Like right. ask those specific questions because we shouldn't make an assumption that one, one doctor does another is going to do, which actually leads me to my next question, because we know that a lot of practices are, are large, that there's very few solo practitioners and someone may walk into their place of birth, likely like a hospital, maybe a birth center. And they found the care provider they want, but then they show up and it's not the team they're expecting. So then how do we take that relationship and that trust and the honoring of values and expectations that may have formed between a care provider and, and the birthing person and then transfer that when they show up? Because now they're dealing with nurses, possibly many nurses, maybe not their care provider yet. Maybe it's you know, they don't show up to the care provider doesn't show up to later. How do we get the whole team honoring the values and choices that were already discussed? Yeah, it's, it's so tricky. It's hard because it is, it is so rare to have your own, you know, the one care provider, very few are solo or even in a duet. And that's understandable too, because the life of being on call for, for it's many not great. people, <laughs> it's not great. It's really hard. And that's why people end up in much larger, I think, practices in the end. But if you are choosing a practice that has many care providers in it, then there's probably, there's a high level of possibility that you, you haven't met the person who's going to actually deliver your baby, or you maybe only met them once sometime during your pregnancy. And so I think there's a couple of things that, um, that can work in this situation. One is considering using the birth preferences sheet, right? Which is what a lot of people know as the birth plan. And we always call the birth preferences sheet. So that's one option is like, you've sat down, you've written out your values, you've put it on a sheet, like a resume and you know, any, any new person you encounter, you're like, Hey, can you read this real quick? And whether that's you or or your partner or your your doula, and even sometimes nurses when we're lucky are asking for that. So it depends on what hospital or environment you're in, but that would be one, one way is like, Hey, just, can you read this? Right. And, And that'll bullet point out some of your preferences. And it might include things like eating and drinking and, and whether, what position you want to have have, uh, for pushing and whether a baby would go in skin to skin contact with you and, and things like that. Um, so that's one way to start that conversation. If you aren't a person who's, or you've decided like, that's not for me, I don't want to write this down. Um, then it is about having to say it. And that's really hard for the laboring person. If you're in the throes of labor, then you're definitely not going all into that, but maybe you have a partner to advocate for you or, um, a birthing partner, even if it's not, you know, um, your, your partner, but, or maybe a parent or family member, or, uh, in this case, I guess I'm going to have to say, this is where doulas really come in. You know, having a doula with you is another way to really help communicate uh, your values and can help you have that conversation or prompt that or, or remind you to have that, that conversation. And just to the doula, at least as the only childbirth person, you know, professional who's there continuously throughout and just for you. So no matter what is going on around you, you have that person who knows, uh, has, has your back and knows what, what you want. Um, but in between contractions, even having those moments of like, 
speaking it directly a little, if you can, uh, to, to the nurse or this doctor that you haven't met before being like, I know we didn't, we didn't get a chance to meet. I I would really, can I talk to you for five minutes? Like if you can, again, depends, like not all people, it depends if you have pain medication or not, depends how early your labor is. And that's why I think having a a partner or family member or doula who can like advocate and translate and and do some of that communication and, or having it um, written down. But I think we should be making sure that people don't have the expectation that they would have the person that they, you know, it's, it's just, it's so unusual to have to know you're the person who's delivering, or at least if, if it is the person who is delivering and they are somebody you've developed a relationship with, they are not there that much of the time. I think mm-hmm. that's like the big mismatch too. Like the expectation that your doctor is actually going to really be there a lot. Like there's a few, again, the golden gems that we love, um, you know, but most of them just by virtue of how the hospital system works and how many patients they're taking at a time are just not going to be in with you that much of the time. So you're, you should plan. I think people having babies, at least in hospitals should generally plan that I'm probably going to be working with people. I don't know a lot of the time. Yeah. I actually, I agree that once I became a birth doula in the world, I had no idea how little time people, the care provider spends with them. My very first birth I did was with a midwife, uh, mm-hmm. Sylvie Blaustein, and she was mm-hmm. in the room for most of it yeah. in a rocking chair knitting. I, so that was my first experience. I'm like, Oh, so that's what they do. And then <laughs> as I continued, I'm like, that is not what they do. So yeah. I, I had a student listen to it. So I did a podcast with a uh, Dr. Neil Shaw, and he mm-hmm. was talking about one of the things that they've done to really open birth to be more of a team situation is they put a whiteboard in the room and they put the the birthing person's name, the partner name, if there's a partner, and then just general values. And mm-hmm. I had one of my students listen to that. So she showed up to her birth with a whiteboard and she stuck it somewhere in the room so that when the married of people that carousels in and out, they knew who she was. They didn't just call her mom or mommy or mama. She, they knew her name and they got a sense of what she was looking for without her having to hand out yeah. birth plans and having to have other people explain it. And I, I, I wasn't there, but she said it was really, it's really helpful. And she said she felt so empowered, like putting that, I don't know where it was either on the wall or, or a table or something, but it was like her calling card. She's like, this is who I am. This is what I need. And then it was just there. So I love that idea. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> you could almost see, it's funny. I have seen whiteboards in some places that were, um, but not, not done by the actual person. And that's such a cool idea even to put on your front door, right? Like anytime somebody's coming in, they're going to see some of that. Yeah. And so they know, like, I mean, how awful is it when I still don't like it when I go to my pediatrician, with my kids so like mommy, I'm like, I've been here for five years. You should know my, like, or at least just look at my chart, like my son's chart and be like, you know, call me something other than mommy. So, you know, it's interesting. I think that's one of the things we do also as doulas when, when somebody walks in the room, right? Sometimes like if somebody's leaned forward and moaning and having this contraction, I'm very often going to say like, oh, that was amazing, right? Like giving some positive feedback to the person. Mm-hmm. And then as the people, staff walks in, they're kind of listening to how you're engaging with the person. They're getting a sense, especially like, you know, um, or if somebody's coming in, say, maybe offering an epidural, but that person, you, we know as the doula, they didn't, you know, maybe in this case, they didn't want one. So we're kind of trying to extra be loud about like, that's how I'm showing the nurse like, oh, no, she doesn't, you know, she this person, not that all people but this person, they don't want that. And I'm able to say like, that was amazing. You are doing so well handling your contractions, something like that kind of saying it more for the staff who's walking in right? so that, they're, you know, on the flip side, of course, if a person wants an epidural, then we're also facilitating that. And that's, I think, you know, again, it's like, how do we communicate these things out to the staff easily? But so now I'm um, hoping everyone goes to get a whiteboard and stick it in their birth bag so that they can at least know their name and their preferences. I think that I, I, I don't, I cannot take any credit for it. It's all Dr. Neil Shaw, yeah, no. but I yeah. love that people are using that. All right. We're going to switch gears and talk about lactation consultants. Cause I'm going to be honest. I only know a handful because I, I tend to be quite the loyalist that the ones I know, I hold tight and dear and I refer them out. So I know that we were talking about, there's different ways that different care providers like, uh, 
you know, uh, OBGYNs they practice. Some are going to go more in that kind of pathological. Some are going to go more in the midwifery style. So I'm wondering, do IBCLCs have that same varied approach or is it all kind of usually a similar set of values and practices? Yeah, I mean, hopefully, like I would say most lactation consultants, or at least the ones that, that I, you know, work with and match people to through Boober are really, um, what we like to say, have a goals based practice. And, you know, certainly people are people and they do run the gamut. Um, but I think the most important thing is that your lactation consultant actually can meet you where you are. And, you know, um, while you, some people are going to have the goal to exclusively breastfeed or body feed their baby, other people might want to or are unable to fully nurse their babies or they're already, you know, using formula or they want to. And the last thing anybody wants is to be judged. So I think that is one of the important things is, you know, is, is just making sure that a, a lactation consultant is able to meet people where they are, right? Is that is able to actually um, hear your particular story and then work with you depending on what your, your goals are. Um, but overall, I think that most lactation consultants, you know, are doing a similar thing, which is they are able, they're real expert in tongue function and in milk you know, assessment milk transfer. And so they are using, they are using a, um, a sensitive scale and they're able to assess how much, you know, the baby weighed a certain amount, then they nurse and then the baby nurses, uh, they get weighed again and we can see how much milk has transferred if that's necessary in the particular situation. Um, they are able to help with anything from, fully, you know, exclusive nursing to understanding, pumping to understanding, bottle feeding if there's questions around that to, um, to really looking at the whole dyad, the parent and the lactating parent and the baby, um, and whether that there's something that's going on in functionality, I think is a big part too, because we, we do see a real issue in the community of lactation world when people are having problems. Most pediatricians actually are not very well versed in lactation. And so this is where it can become challenging where a lactation consultant notices something that's going on with the baby or the baby's tongue or tongue function. Um, but the pediatrician may not recognize that because they're actually not trained in lactation, which is really interesting. Um, and most, you know, pediatricians that I work with, a lot of them will tell you like, Oh, I had, you know, one to three hours really seems to be the maximum amount of training that, that they have. Um, so lactation consultants are really truly the only trained, they're experts in lactation and it is a much deeper, you know, there's so much science behind it. There's so much going on. It's very complex actually. And most lactation consultants, as they start to go in and learn, you know, it takes years and years to become, um, an, an international board certified lactation consultant. So I have so much respect for, um, the work that they do, but they really are able to address all sorts of feeding issues. I'm quite the fan of IBSLCs. I really haven't been on a pedestal. What are some questions someone may want to ask a lactation consultant before they hire them to make sure they're a good fit? Yeah, well, you know, it depends. It's funny. Um, I, I think that I've sort of changed the model of finding a lactation consultant in some way and, you know, just to address that part of like why I did start Booper the way I did was because people, um, like you said, you have your list of lactation consultants that you love, right? And so does everybody. And the problem is that when you're really, really desperate, um, you need help that day. Some people are going to give up that day because you have to feed eight to 15 times a day. <laughs> and if it's hurting you and you're in pain and you're not sure your baby's getting enough, like people will sometimes give up breastfeeding within like 24 to 48 hours of, of having a crisis and freaking out. And if the people on the list are not available, which is very common, especially like where we are in New York, right? You have your, your top people, but there's so many people needing lactation help. Um, and that's part of like why I started it because I wanted to be able to get somebody there fast. So you're not always pre-interviewing these people, I guess. And it's fascinating to me how many people come to us and we match them to somebody and they don't speak before, mm -hmm. you know, fascinating. They're just like, Oh my God, 
okay, you're saying they're qualified. I need help like now so they can come now. Great. So that's interesting. If you are researching your person and you have, you know, you're not in, in, even if you are in crisis and you're talking to somebody, you know, and you do want to talk to them, definitely ask like, um, you know, what is their philosophy? How do they get into it? I think it's always really interesting. Why, why are you (laughs) interested? Um, how do you feel if, what if you are bottle feeding or formula feeding or something like that, then you'd want to find that out. You know, what if I decide I don't want to exclusively, um, nurse my baby or I'm not like, how do you work with parents who aren't if that's your, your situation? Um, because feeling judged in in that moment can be really bad. And there are some lactation consultants, you know, um, who are more going to really, really, really push, um, the breast, which from a public health perspective, you know, is a totally different thing, but on an individual level, if somebody doesn't want that pushed, um, that's really important. You know, I, I think I remember one of the earliest calls, that I fielded at Boober after like maybe six months after starting it was, um, this person texted for help and I called them back and I, they just like started crying on the phone about how hard it was. It was day five. And, and I, and they said, I just don't want to breastfeed. I've told everybody that I never wanted to breastfeed. I don't want to do it. And I said, that's okay. You don't have to. And she said, but nobody's letting me not do, and I don't, you know, there was obviously other, like whatever that means, right. Being told like, nobody's letting me, there's a lot of other stuff going on. But I said, you know, you don't have to breastfeed if you don't want to breastfeed, you know, you can, we can send somebody to you to help you wean because she was so engorged. Um, and you know, she was like, oh my God, you're the first person who told me I didn't have to thank you. And she just wept on the phone and it was really intense. So I think like, you know, just you just don't want to be judged, <laughs> whatever you're going through. You just don't want to be judged. So asking that question, you can ask what their studies were. You can ask, especially if you're researching ahead of time, you can ask how long they trained for, and you'll often find it's like thousands of hours. Um, you can ask, do they bring a scale or not? Um, most do, but it is important to know in case somebody's, you know, in there really new, or maybe, maybe they're not a lot of people who are not IBCLC, they're not the international board certified lactation consultant, wouldn't bring a scale if you're finding a lactation professional. So that would be a good question to ask. Um, you can ask, do they have familiarity with, you know, how to help with more complicated situations? Like if you have cracked bleeding nipples or like, are they familiar with, with tongue ties? Are they familiar, you know, with, with those things? And then, and then what other resources do they have? Do they work with any other kind of professionals? Because when somebody's having complication in lactation, we find that there's actually working with other body workers, you know, believe it or not Mm -hmm. from, you know, physical therapists or um, craniosacral therapists, right? Like when a baby is really has a tight um, mouth or jaw or something's going on with the tongue that sometimes body work actually really helps. So do you work with anybody else is helpful? Um, you know, and, and what kind of reports will you give? What kind of, how much do you stay in touch with me? Cause every lactation consultant works a little bit different in that. So some people for the fee, they might allow you to check in with them for the next two weeks. Some people might say, you know, I just need another visit and here's my follow-up rate. So like, you just want to be clear on what that, how they work. That was a great list. It actually made me like, oh, I have more about lactation. Got to start wrapping up though. Um, <laughs> for something I thought wasn't quite my field, I'm like, ooh, let's talk more about this. Maybe we'll have to have a follow-up. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, what is one final tip or piece of advice you would like to offer new and expectant parents? We'll be right back. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay. I know you've given some serious gems of information and things that I'm sure people are going to keep rewinding and writing down some really great information you've shared, but is there anything kind of percolating to the top of your mind? You're like, Oh, I got to share this. I got to make sure everyone knows this. <laughs> um, I guess let me think, what are my, my tips, you know, get informed, get educated. I, I, I just can't say that enough, you know, and whether that that could mean that you're reading on your own. It could mean you're searching on YouTube. It could mean that you're coming to our classes or your classes or both of our classes, right? It could mean that you're going to um, different online webinars, but really 
really learn. There are things to learn about, about childbirth um, and lactation that are going to help you recognize when something's veering off course or help you know that you can ask these questions or help you know, is this thing for me or are you just doing that as a routine? And I think that's, that's something that helps. So, you know, take your, I think taking classes is really helpful. Um, don't, don't not listen. Let's go listen to your gut. I really do think trust when you feel something's off. If you don't feel like you're with the right care provider, there's something nagging at you. Something's not right. You're thinking about, you want to maybe make a switch or at least explore that. Like, don't be afraid to at least give yourself permission to explore that. You don't owe anything to, um, even if your, your OBGYN was your GYN for 10 years before you got pregnant, but you don't want to have, maybe they were great for GYN, but maybe you don't want to deliver with them or at their hospital. That's okay. You know, to, to move on to somebody who does fit the, the model of care that, that you want. Um, I would also say, you know, try to connect with other expectant and new parents, um, take some class that you maybe wouldn't, even if it's online, a group class, you know, like, um, whether that is like taking a prenatal yoga class and connecting with other parents, even if it's not specifically an education class or going to join your local listserv, right? Like where I am, we have Park Slope parents, but every single neighborhood of, you know, most places now has a Facebook group or, um, you know, a Google group of some group that's connecting you to local parents in your area. Community is really, really important mm-hmm. in this time, you know? And I think like, I remember nobody else wants to hear about baby pee and poop and sleep like other people with babies the same age as you. Like, it's you so know, true. Yeah. right? Like you can talk about that stuff endlessly. Um, it's really fascinating and interesting when you're in it, but for people not in it, it's not as fascinating and interesting. So you want to be talking to other people kind of in your stage of pregnancy or in the, you know, somewhere in a pregnancy that can also talk about the aches and pains or talk about like your last appointment, all that stuff becomes super interesting. Um, and pee and poop and babies and all of it, like when you're, you know, with those people. So finding those online or in-person communities or people you can just walk with, even if they're not going to be your best friend. And I know it's, it's COVID time. So doing this safely, um, and in the right way, but it's, it's important to like have some level of community. We were never meant to do this alone. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, and the last thing on that is, is not being afraid to find the care to help you. Like asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's actually what we, nor, we used to have babies in community. That was a thing. And now a lot of times we don't. And so we do have to find the community and support on our own. We might need to go find, a, you know, a doula or postpartum doula if we don't have any family to come help care for us or a lactation consultant or, you know, a, a pelvic floor therapist, all of these people that are actually humans who are going to support us and help us through having our babies. Like the whole, that whole village thing. It's like, it's really true. It's just that now you have to kind of pull to it. Find your own village. You, you have, have to, to find it, it a little bit, you know, yeah. and that's part of, I think like my, my work, you know, and running Boober is all about like trying to connect people to care and community. And I think that's your work too, is like, you're not only teaching and, and doing, it's not just, you know, taking, getting the exercise or learning, like you're also meeting people, right? It's, it's so important. Yeah. Community is actually one of the foundations of prenatal yoga center besides the asana, besides the education community, because especially in a place like New York city, or even now, you know, we're, we're online for so much connecting to other people. I actually just had a student who came back today. She moved to DC and she showed up online. She's like, I, I wanted to stay part of the community. She's like, I missed hearing from other people. I missed being yeah. part of it. And there's something to that being seen and recognized for the same issues showing up with one another. So community, I think, is really just so, so, so important. Okay, so where can people find your work? I think we've talked about Boober, but let them know. Where can people find your work? Yeah, so um, people can find us at getboober.com. Um, you can also find us. So that's where our website. And you can, if you need classes, childbirth classes, lactation, newborn care, anything preparing and or we have some postpartum classes as well. Um, you can also find a doula or lactation consultant, mental health therapist who focuses on pregnancy to postpartum, pelvic floor support, um, nutritionist, so much more. So, you know, that's over at Boober. You can also find us on Instagram is where we also live and, and do a lot of teaching tips at, at get Boober. Um, and you know, that is, that is the best place to find us. 
Yeah, and you now also I have some classes at prenatal yoga center. This is a prenatal yoga center, which I'm so excited about. So anybody in the New York City area, I hope you will join us on the Upper West Side for classes. Back in person. You know, I have to tell you, we've started our back in person classes this month and several of them have sold out. People are clamoring safely because we're a fitness center. So we are under New York State mandate that everyone that walks in has to be vaccinated. But people are clamoring to see each other. Safely. It's really, I'm really excited. So it it is truly a joy and an honor and a pleasure to be working with Boober. And I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing so much great wisdom. So great to talk to you and I'll see you soon. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.